Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. All right. Uh, each year, uh, most of you know, I take a couple days to myself up at uh, the castle uh, there in Franklin, and, and I just pray over the coming year. I pray for God to, to kind of lay out, you know, some messages for me, and, and uh, I pray for a word for our church over the year. And then in the summer, I set aside one week to come back to that word so we can see how we're doing here and just kind of uh, refresh our minds on that word. So uh, if you remember this year, the, the word the Lord gave us was that for our church, this was to be a year of wholehearted pursuit of God. And today, I want to revisit that as a church family. Uh, there is a lot in this life uh, that other people can do for you. Uh, there is a lot that I can do for you as your pastor. As your pastor, uh, I try my best to empower you. And what I mean by that is this is not a church where Emily and I have a vision and we say, sit down and don't interrupt. We, we say this is a church where we want to empower you. Uh, you are not called to watch what God is doing, but to be a catalyst of what God wants to do. As your pastors, we want you to have dreams and visions and realize your calling, and we want to push you into that and encourage you. And as your pastor, we can encourage you and teach you and challenge you and equip you. But what I cannot do is I cannot pursue God for you. I cannot pursue God with your heart. You can't pursue God with my heart. But there's something that God wants from you that no one else can give. And that is your heart. Uh, in Haley's bedroom, we have a, a wall hanging over her uh, changing table. It says, uh, many of you might have the same hanging. It says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. But it's actually uh, the surrounding context of Jeremiah 29, 11 that's so in incredible. Uh, because the Bible says that at the beginning of Jeremiah, it says that uh, his ministry began in the 13th year of King Josiah. Look at somebody and say, wow, he's right. That is amazing. That's, that's not the amazing part. Uh, I'm going to explain to you why this matters. Uh, Josiah, as king, would eventually turn things around in his reign, but for the first 13 years until we get to Jeremiah, and then for the following four years, uh, he led the nation in evil. Uh, he led them in worshiping false gods, in idolatry of all sorts, uh, primarily because for this first 17 years, uh, Josiah and uh, Judah, Israel had no copies of God's law. He was just following the example of what the kings before him had done. And the nation as a whole is simply following the leadership of the king. So while the nation of Judah is living in complete sin and idolatry, again, worshiping other, uh, other gods, there are all of these false prophets coming along and they're telling the people of the nation, God is so happy with you living in your evil. God is so pleased with you living in your sin and idolatry and just keep up the good work. And in the midst of all this, God becomes kind of frustrated. Pray for my wife right now because she's got the hardest job in here. In the midst of all this, God is becoming so understandably frustrated because the people are living in sin and the religious leaders are telling them you're doing uh, 
a good thing here. You're living good. So God says something to Jeremiah. Uh, he doesn't say it to anyone else, but this is actually the third time that he says it to Jeremiah. We're going to read it together uh, in Jeremiah chapter 14. Uh, verse 11, it says, Then the Lord said to Jeremiah, Do not pray for the well-being of this people. Uh, now, the literal meaning here, if you go back to the translations, uh, it means do not uh, pray for the prosperity of this nation. Uh, what God is saying to Jeremiah is don't pray for a nation that lives like this to prosper. Don't pray for God to bless a nation that lives like this. And then in verse 12, he says, although they fast, I will not listen to their cry. Though they offer burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Now, this is an odd thing for God to say. He's saying, they fast to me, I'm not listening. They make sacrifices, I'm not paying attention. And Jeremiah, as the, the religious leader of the nation, don't even pray for their prosperity. Now, why is this God's attitude? And Scripture tells us, actually, in Jeremiah 3.10, why this was his attitude. It says, Judah did not return to me with all their heart, but only in pretense. What that means is uh, Judah, in this time, was just going through the motions. This tells us that God will not accept just going through the motions, but it also tells us what God is after. It says, the problem is, they didn't return to me with their heart. And Jeremiah, if you read the chapter, actually stands up for the people and he says, God, it's not really their fault because there are all of these prophets telling them, you know, peace, peace, you're doing a great job here. And then God responds again in verse 14. The Lord said to Jeremiah, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I have not sent them or appointed them or spoken to them. They are prophesying to you false visions, divinations, idolatries, and the delusions of their own mind. So what we have is we have this culture that is completely engulfed in sin that has given them, they're not like struggling with sin, like ups and downs. They have just given themselves over to a lifestyle of sin. And they are surrounded by these supposed religious leaders who are saying it is okay to live in sin as long as you keep going through the motions, as long as you keep doing the right thing, fast and pray and make sacrifices and live how you want to. Yet if you read, what we find is God is not interested in the motions, but God is after the heart. If you continue uh, in Jeremiah 3, what you'll find is God sends Jeremiah to, uh, with a message to the people over and over saying, even though you have been so faithless to me, I am a faithful God. And if you just return to me, I will not abandon you. It's not too much longer after this that Josiah, if we go back to King Josiah, faces a decision that's not just a life-altering decision, it's actually a nation-altering decision. Because what happens in the 17th year or the 18th year of, of his reign, uh, the word of God, the law of Moses is discovered and it's brought to Josiah. And Josiah, as he studies the law, recognizes how far away they have gotten from the word of God. And, and he can make a decision in that moment. 
Uh, I can continue in the way that my ancestors, ancestors have passed down to me for generations, or I can make a com complete change and begin to walk in accordance with the law of God. And Jer uh, Josiah's choice in that moment defined his legacy. I want you to read his legacy with me. In 2 Kings 23, 25, it says, Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did, with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his strength, in accordance with the law of Moses. You know what I love here? For 17 years, Josiah has been leading the people in idolatry, and, and worshiping false gods, all types of sin and evil for 17 years. Yet that's not what he's known for. That's not what he's defined by. Josiah's decision to turn to God with all of his heart is his legacy. Josiah was not remembered for his past. He wasn't remembered anymore for his failures, for his mistakes. He was remembered for turning to God with all of his heart. And I'm not a crier, church. But as I was in here praying and the Lord spoke these words to me, uh, I was in tears in this place as the Lord said, the moment that you turn to God with your whole heart, you are no longer defined by your sin. You are no longer defined by your past. You are no longer defined by your mistakes. Your sins will not be your legacy if you simply turn to God with your whole heart. And church, this is the grace of our God. We call it the great exchange where we take our sin and our filth and we give it to Christ. And in turn, he gives us his righteousness and his holiness and his purity. Every failure, every mistake of my past has been given to God. Every success on his part has been placed upon me and upon you if you have turned to him. And it's no different than it was with Josiah. Maybe for 17 years you've been living in complete and utter evil and sin. But today, if you turn to him with all of your heart, no pretense, just turn to him with your heart, then today becomes a legacy-defining day for you. The Bible calls it the incomparable riches of the grace of God. What I'd like to do for just a moment is I actually want to compare King Josiah to another king. His name is King Jehoash. That's actually, if we ever have another boy, that's the name we've landed on is Jehoash. Well, let's read. Uh, you know what I love about being a pastor? Not in my notes, but pastor jokes are so similar to dad jokes. And I love dad jokes. I can just stand up here and be cheesy all day long. So some of you have noticed that. Second Kings chapter 13. Verse 10, it says, In the 37th year of uh, Joash, king of Judah, Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, a lot of words, became king of Israel in Samaria, and he reigned 16 years. Somebody say 16 years. 16. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam. 
As for the other events uh, of the reign of Jehoash, all he did in his and his achievements, including his war against uh, Amaziah, king of Judah, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel? Jehoash rested with his ancestors, and Jeroboam succeeded him on the throne. Jehoash was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. So it says that his achievements as king are written in something uh, called the book of the annals of the kings of Israel. And uh, I just want to ask you, do you know where that book is today? You don't know. Neither does anyone else. Uh, it's probably destroyed forever. And what that means is for this king named Jehoash, he has a single legacy to his name. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Everything else he did, we'll never know. But he is defined by this single line. In fact, there are about 12 kings in Israel's history that this is all they're defined by. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Do you know what's interesting here? Jehoash led the nation in evil for 16 years. How long did Josiah lead the nation in evil? For 17 years. He actually led them in evil for longer. Yet Jehoash was defined as the man who did evil against the Lord. Josiah was defined as the man who turned to God with all of his heart. What separates the two? The only thing that separates the two and their legacies is a decision that was made in their heart. Today could be for you a day where your legacy is defined. Uh, even after King Josiah turned to God, uh, their present reality was actually no different because they were still a nation in exile. It was still the season where many of the people felt lost and abandoned, and it was like they were wandering around aimlessly. And then finally, there was this breakthrough word from the prophet Jeremiah uh, that said, even in the midst of this dark season and this lost season and this quiet season, God breaks through and he says, I know the plans I have. Uh, we talked a few weeks ago about living in a world that's surrounded by uncertainty. Sometimes that's all we have is the knowledge that God knows. Uh, sometimes that has to be enough for us to walk with boldness and in faith is knowing that God knows. But to a people that uh, are facing a lot of unknowns, God says, I know the plans I have. Jeremiah 29, 11 will start. Uh, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come to me and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. He says, I will be found by you. One of the principles we talked about uh, way back in January was one of the principles of the kingdom of God is he desires to be found by you. But there's this promise in scripture that says, if you will seek him with your whole heart, you will not search in vain. He will be found by you. But if we stop there, we can kind of get the order of things mixed up. Because if you just read that passage, it gives the appearance uh, that the people are seeking God 
because God delivered them. But actually, God has not delivered them from captivity. God has just said, I have plans for you. So let's pick up in verse 13 again. It says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Then he says, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I uh, banished you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. So actually what we find is the seeking comes first. When you seek me with your whole heart, that's when God's good and perfect plans begin to unfold in their lives. Seek me with your heart, I'll be found by you, and then I'll deliver you from captivity. Do you see that the order of things here, it's kind of important. Because I believe that God has, I know that God has spoken promises into many of your lives. For some of you, it's relationships, it's marriages, whatever the case. And sometimes we can pursue those promises more than we pursue God. But I think there's a message here that says, seek God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And some of those promises will be unlocked as you pursue God above the promises. Does that make sense? So we're in this culture where Jeremiah is surrounded by a people, surrounded by a people who are going through the motions, and God is saying, I am after their heart. I'm not looking for a people who worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Actually, Second Chronicles said that God is actually searching the earth to and fro, like his eyes are scanning the earth, searching for someone whose heart is fully devoted to him. My prayer is that his eyes stop here. That when God is looking for someone whose heart is completely his, he gets to Cranberry Community Church and he says, there it is. There is the heart that is fully devoted to me. Will that be you? When his eyes are searching the earth, will he stop and say, there's Travis, the one whose heart is fully devoted to me. I was thinking this week, that is what makes David so special. You know, when, when the Israelites were asking for a king, first God did something to prove a point. He made Saul their king because Saul, by every outward appearance, appearance looked like a king. He was tall, and he was strong, and he was handsome. There's a good dad joke I could throw in there, but maybe next time. Saul had every look. He was the leader of men. But what God did was he put him in as king, and then he kind of let him do his thing. And after God has proven his point, God says this in 1 Samuel 13. He says, Now, Saul, your kingdom will not endure, for the Lord has sought after a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people. Renee, you can go ahead and come. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. Do you know what this doesn't say? It doesn't say that God was appointing David king and hey, look at that. He happens to be a man after my own heart. He says, no, God had sought after a man after his own heart. 
It's not about going through the right motions. It's not about lifting your hands in worship. It's not about this or that. It's not about looking the part. It's a matter of the posture of your heart. Have you given your heart to God? I mentioned uh, once before that when I was praying over this, this word and I felt the Lord saying it was to be a year of wholehearted pursuit, I felt like it was a very specific word. In other words, I didn't feel like God was calling us to radical pursuit because the truth of the matter is we all pursue God radically compared to someone somewhere. Comparatively, we all pursue God radically. But when we're talking about our whole heart, there's nothing comparative about that. It becomes an individual thing. Only you know your heart. Only you know if your heart is in this or not. If your heart is half in this or half out. God is searching for something in this place from you that the person sitting next to you cannot give and that is your heart. I wanted to make it just as practical as I could. If you guys want to stand with me. How do we pursue God? with me again until next Sunday morning for another hour. We wouldn't be here together if I had done that. Pursuing God begins with prayer. Pursuing God involves worship. Worship, again, is not for Sunday mornings. Corporate worship is great about Sunday mornings. But your heart can worship Him any moment any day. And then we just go back to the book of John where Jesus said, abide, 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 simply meaning be present with me at all times. You may be here right now and we sang four songs earlier and you can say during those four songs I was never really I want you to envision the eyes of God searching the entire earth, looking for someone whose heart is fully committed and devoted to Him. And I want it to stop on you. I want that for you so bad, but I can't do it for you.
Discover him in his word. Uh, for family worship Sunday, uh, Jen and Jan over here prepared snacks for us out front. So stick around for a little bit and hang out. There's even a gluten-free option because they're that awesome, okay? All right, have a good week, church. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, May God bless you.